Stay tuned till after the teaching to find out how you can be of support to us and also about all that the Lord is doing in our ministry. Good morning. So this morning we're talking about the righteousness of God. Uh, it's, it's about our identity and who we are and what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing and, and like kind of like the release to go do it. You know, a lot of times people get really uh, discouraged and stuff because maybe they don't feel good enough or because of their past or whatever, you know. So this is going to talk about what Jesus says that we are. And so if you'll uh, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to turn with you, that way everybody has a little time to get to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. verse 15 through 21. So check this out. Uh, we'll start in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some, some translations say compels us. <clears throat> because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And that's just kind of weird, you know. It's saying that all have died. Um, uh, we'll just keep going. There's so, there's so much there, too. I, I don't have time to preach on that. We'll just keep going. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, and that's talking about dying. We died to ourselves, our old lives and everything. That we, don't long, we don't longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And now, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <clears throat> the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespass or their sin or their offense or their the things they've done against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So in case you don't know what reconciliation is, reconciliation is when uh, you have a dispute between somebody and, 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 and then somebody came in and helped you mediate your relationship so that you were both once enemies and now you've become friends again. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation also is to balance the scales. Okay, uh, to reconcile um, whenever it, the, when it was unjust, but then God made it right. So now you're at the same level now. Okay, so that's balancing the justice scales, but it's also uh, reconciliation is whenever I have a dispute between my brother and somebody else comes in and says, I'm going to help you all resolve your differences so that you can become friends again. And so that's what got, happened with God. God sent Jesus to come and settle the dispute between us and God. So now we are reconciled with God. We become um, friends with him again. Uh, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So he became sin. Jesus didn't know any sin, but he literally became sin. That takes some faith to believe that the God of the universe, of all holiness, of all righteousness, became sin. Okay, watch this. He became sin. So that's impossible to believe, but it's true. We have to believe it. It's just as impossible to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, became sin 
It's just as hard to believe that as it is to believe the next part, which says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we that were the sick scum of the world, have now become the righteousness of God. What it means, um, righteousness is <clears throat> a couple things. To be righteous means to be made right. Like you, something was wrong with you, now you're being made right. That's called righteousness. So now, so God has this standard, and we, we missed it. And righteousness, if we're righteous, we're now meeting a standard somehow. So the thing is, I'm awful. I've done all these bad things. I'm sinful. I have a bad history, a bad past, and, and, and I'm unworthy. But Jesus Christ made me worthy. Woo! <laughs> all right? So I am now the righteousness of God. Now, it's not just I am righteous. I am the righteousness. It's a noun now. It's not just a description. It's not just a descriptive word. It's actually my identity. So I have now become the very righteousness of God, which is very deep, very hard to understand. But the truth is, what see, what, what makes God, the righteousness of God is also his good deeds. Okay? It's what he's done. You are God's good deed. You are God's completed work. You are the completion of God's all of, all of God's understanding, God's wisdom and God's knowledge. Every mystery of God has made itself manifest inside you, inside Christ. That's the righteousness of God. Righteousness of the righteousness of God is all of His mysteries. It's all of His goodness. It's all of His, his best. You have now become the best of God. It's so awesome. All right. Um, and when we start realizing that, it changes the way we think. When we start realizing, I am. Um, the the you know it says that he's going to give us his glory too. You know what I mean? Like we are the glory of God. You know we, <laughs> you know, think about that. It's like your wife. You know, think about this. If you get married, you know, we just talk. You know that ever that heard that saying? She's my better half. You know, because you know, especially as men, a lot of times we have rough backgrounds, or whatever. And then we get married to this woman, and she's just so much better than us. You know, and and we always a lot of pastors you hear pastors say that a lot. She's my better half. And it's a humbling thing to say that because, you know, we always look at the pastor as top-notch or whatever. But what he's saying is my wife is even better. You know, he's given her this place of honor. And the thing is, uh, his wife is his special, his, his like, I hate to put it this way, but it's his prized possession in a sense. You know what I mean? First of all, that's biblical. Did you know that when you get married, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to her. And she doesn't belong to herself. She belongs to you. So you actually belong to one another. So she is, you are her possession and she is your possession. So whenever you go and get married, think about this. <clears throat> you as a husband, you know, you say, you, like, you don't think you're very attractive compared to your wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, in your own eyes, you actually believe your your wife is better looking. I believe my wife's way better than looking at me. You know what I'm saying? Me too. Uh, <laughs> you know? And that's what it is, man, is that God has taken up his bride, and she's adorned, and she's beautiful, and she's this amazing thing. You know what I mean? And literally, <clears throat> my wife is, I, if you know, if I want to get romantic, I can say, my wife is everything that's good about me. See what I'm saying? That's just, that's when we, that's romance. But that's also, that's love. You know, when when I've given everything to her and I say, man, Sarah, you are, you're everything that's good about me. And that's what God's saying right here. He's saying that we, the bride, that we are everything that's good about him. Think about it. All of God's mercy is displayed in our reconciliation to him. All of God's goodness 
is displayed in us becoming righteous again. And us becoming from nothing to something. That is the glory of God. It's all of God's goodness being displayed in our lives. We are God's crown. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's beautiful gem that he has worked so hard at. You know what I'm saying? We are God's masterpiece. When it says we are his righteousness, we are God's good work. It's good stuff, you know. All right, so... um. That changes everything, you know, especially you know, people, they don't feel very adequate. They don't feel like they can get anything done. They don't feel like they can do anything for God. Maybe they feel like they've jacked their whole life up because of all their past. But that's the thing. If you are God's good work and you are God's great glory and you are God's masterpiece, then it isn't really you. It's really him. He's going to do something through you. Okay, allow him to do more through you, you know, and so we can't look at our past anymore. We can't look at um, what our dad did to us. We can't look at what our friends said about us. We can't look at whatever, you know, we can't look at what our girlfriends or our wives have ever said about us or our family. But we can't look about to our failures to define who we are. God says we are his good work. We are his masterpiece. We are his righteousness. And so I can no longer look at my past or what anybody else says about me. I must submit myself to him as bride to a husband, submit myself therefore to God as a, as a bride submits herself to a husband, okay? Like a husband, you know, like a wife will, t think about this. You know, we have the same problem with God that wives have with their husbands. Wives will look at their husbands and you, you can, a husband can tell his wife, you're beautiful a hundred million times and his wife will have a hard time believing it. She has a hard time believing it. And you can tell her a million times, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, and she doesn't get it. And, I mean, we pray in the name of Jesus that eventually they do get it, but there's a time, especially at the beginning of your marriage, they're not going to feel beautiful. And it's our job as husbands to reaffirm in them, you're beautiful. That's why pornography destroys wives. That's why, um, you know, if we look at a woman, another woman with lust, it hurts our wives. Because those things... Uh, it's important for them to know they get something from us. And it's, it's God-given. They're supposed to find their identity in God first. That's the reason why. It's because we're messed up. And if we don't do it right, they're going to really need Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're created to be the head of the house like Christ loved the church and show them the love of Christ. We're supposed to be displaying that to them. Okay? But the truth is they have a hard time really getting it. That they're beautiful, that they're that you really value them. Their questions come later on. You love your job more than you love me. Things like that. I mean, I mean stuff like that. They question, and a lot of wives will question their husbands and their husbands' faithfulness to them, and their husbands' um, uh, thinking towards them. Okay, and I'm only using this as an example because we, as believers, have the same problem with God. We don't really believe what He says about us. We have a hard time really believing that we're the righteousness of God. We really have a hard time believing that we're beautiful in God's eyes, that we're his great work. That we're, we have a hard time believing it, you know, and that he's really devoted to us. We have a hard time believing that he really loves us, you know, and a lot of it has to do with our own self-condemnation because of our own failures. You know what I'm saying? Like we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I'm so ugly, you know, and we look at ourselves and what we think about ourselves and what everybody else has said about us instead of what he says about us. And that's what ends up destroying us. And, and so we have, faith comes by hearing, not by seeing, okay? So 
when I start to really believe who I am, it's not because I looked at myself in the mirror. It's because I looked at the Word of God. Okay? That's the Word of God tells me who I am. He defines all things. He's the creator. It says in the scripture that he created all things. And he said, let there be light in the darkness. Where there was darkness there, he said, let there be light. So I am in the darkness, but God has said, let there be light. Matthew chapter 5 says, you are the light of the world. You know, but I was in the darkness. You see what I'm saying? So we can't look at our present situation and be like, man, this is who I am. We have to focus on what he says about us. All right. First John 5, 13, 16. We'll go there. First John. First John 5, 13 through 16. It says right here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So, you know, a lot of times people are, they, we're going to talk about prayer today. We're going to talk about um, our access to the things of God. Um, if I really know who I am in Christ, I now have a new confidence. Okay, I'm going to steal this phrase. Todd White says it all the time. Uh, I now have a Godfidence. You know, I have my confidence isn't in inside myself. My confident my confidence is inside of Him. Um, confidence means um, the word con means with, and fidence is the same word as like fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty. You know, I have. Uh, you know, a lot of times we get together with brotherhoods or gangs and things like that and because we're trying to find loyalty. We're trying to find uh, friends that really, um, uh, friends that really uh, will have our back. When the truth is, God has our back all the time. And confidence. This is the confidence that I, confidence isn't just, um, you know, arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's actually, in this situation, it's humility. I have a confidence in what God has said about me, okay? Not myself, okay? I'm not confident. I have confidence in Him, you know what I'm saying? And so it makes me confident because when I start realizing who I really am, it changes everything, you know? What, I'll read this again. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, and I watch this real quick. We're talking about First um, John chapter five, verse thirteen and fourteen. Verse fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have. So here's the thing: people, they, they're like confidence, right? Like confidence is a strong word, you know. Like people don't really, they're not really confident when they pray for somebody who has a missing leg. They're not really confident the leg's going to grow back, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? But everybody. Huh? That's everybody. Everybody. I'm using a, I'm using a really hard miracle. Signs and wonders. Uh, you know, I was prophesying over last night that I'm going to go into places um, that we've never touched before, and I believe it. And the reason why is because I'm uh, God just really spoke to me that that faith comes by hearing and not by seeing. I want to see limbs grow back. You know, I want to see people who have mental problems, illnesses, get completely set free in the name of Jesus. You know, want to see the dead people rise. You know what I'm saying? 
radical faith. And the reason why is because we have unbelief. Everybody who prays, I'm just everybody, everybody who prays for a person who has enough doesn't really believe it's going to come back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, if you really want to be honest, right? Well, I have faith. No, you don't. Faith, faith really is saying, I know that when I finish praying, it's going to happen. Confidence. You know what I mean? But why don't we... Uh, why don't we have um, confidence? A lot of times we don't have confidence because we really don't know who we are. We don't really know what God's given us. And something hangs us up. Maybe we think, well, maybe I've got sin in my life. And maybe that's why God won't answer my prayers. You know what I mean? Well, you know, that has biblical backing. It really does. But people don't realize that righteousness comes by faith, not by your deeds. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, my faith in Jesus and what he did, not in what I did, is what makes me righteous. And then that changes what I'm doing because I become what he said I am. And I do because I am, not because I'm trying real hard. You know what I mean? I, I know for a fact who I am. I know I'm set free. I know that I don't have any of these strongholds. So God set me free. And so I now I'm being who he says I am. And so when I finally get who I really am, I can just, I, I become who I am in him. And then it just happens. He says, um, that it, it's, for we are saved by grace uh, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that we can fulfill the good works that God had prepared for, for us in advance. People skip that last part. God created us for good works. And so it's not that it's not about how your works get you saved. It's about his one work that got me delivered from wrath of God. So he's no longer angry with me. Okay? And it's belief in his resurrection that gives me a new life that causes me to go into a life of good deeds. You know what I'm saying? A life of kingdom advancement. Um, so watch this. People even really, the devil knows how to twist scripture, okay? The devil really knows how to twist scripture. He'll take this passage right here, and this is the confidence, right? We're talking about confidence, that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, bam, all of a sudden people, with that last, that last part right there, all of a sudden all their confidence goes away. Why? Because nobody really knows the will of God, right? So that's what they say. So they'll pray for somebody. If it's God's will, he'll, he'll, he will hear them. Wait a minute. Now I'm not confident anymore because I really don't know the will of God. Mm. People really worry about the will of God, okay? And they're like, I don't know what God's will is. And, and that's the truth, man. People say, if it be thy will, you know, if it's your will, God. And what that is, is that's a confession of unbelief. Yeah. If your line of thinking always, if your line of thinking leads you to stop praying and believing, then it's a bad thinking. And it's actually a lie that you've embraced. So if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, I can't say, oh, well, it must not be God's will. When there's so many scriptures that say it is God's will to heal. Psalms 103, for instance, says, forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all of your sins. So the question is, I can go to any church and ask him, has God forgiven all of your sins? And they all believe that. The reason why they believe that is because it's something unseen. Do they really believe that? Some people don't believe it. Okay. They really don't. But my point is people who, you're right, you know, that's a good point. There's a lot of people that really don't believe that God's forgiven all of their sins. They really don't believe that. And that's actually what we're talking about today is about really believing that God has forgiven you of all of your sins. Well, if God has really forgiven you of all of your sins, if this is true, and the Word of God... Okay, if God's not a liar, then it's true that God has forgiven you all of your sins. 
He doesn't remember one of them. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not remember anymore. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his business. It's a command. What we've done is we've forgotten that God has forgiven us of all of our sins. The next passage, the very next line, the same verse says, And heals all of our diseases. Okay, so if he forgave all of my sin, and the same verse says, He heals all of my diseases. Isn't it safe to say that that's just as true as the previous thing? We just may have, just like some people really have a problem with, you know, believing God forgave them of all their sins, that there's also people out there who really have a problem believing that God's healed them of all their diseases. You know, it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of whether God's faithful. It's a matter of whether or not we have faith for his faithfulness. It's easier to believe that God forgives all of our sins than he can heal my body. Because I have to see it. That's why, yeah. Because whenever I say, oh, God's got to heal my body, then all of a sudden, that puts a demand. If I really believe that, I have to go pray for the sick guy now. You know what I'm saying? Woo! <laughs> it's hard. It calls us, whenever we know the truth, it always calls us to a deeper level. It always calls us to action. Because faith without works is dead. Alright, so, what people do is they say, if anything according to his will, right? Alright, but then watch this. Let's just stop the argument right now, because... If I know Christ and I know his will for my life, because it says in the scripture that God is going to send us his Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing. People say, well, no one can know all the will of God. That is a lie. That is a straight up lie from hell. I'm just going to say that right now. Okay? You can know the will of God. The reason why I know this is because there's multiple accounts in the scripture where Jesus says, I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth. Not just a little bit. All truth. So we can know the will of God. The truth is God's will. Here, now here's another thing too. God has this will, this, this like perfect plan, and it doesn't happen. Okay, God has a perfect plan for your life. Now the question is, if God's perfect plan in your life was, you know, always fulfilled in your life, how could you be judged for sin? You know? It's, sin is the unraveling of God's will. Sin is the counter of God's will. Now, watch this. In your sin, God's will is still complete because he'll judge you for your sin. So God has this will that you don't sin. But then he also has this other will. If you do sin, then judgment will be passed because you'll have to make, it'll have to be made right. That's why Jesus comes in. Third, third line of thinking. You know, you sin. No, that's not God's will. So now you have to pay. Well, you know what? God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be in sin so much that he sent his only son to come take care of the justice aspect. So now you don't have to pay for your sin, and you can be set free from your sin. And guess what? God's original intent for your life could still be available where you are completely sinless. That's why Jesus is the perfect wisdom of God. You know. So my point is, God's will doesn't always happen. You know. The way he wants it to happen. Ezekiel says, I desire that none of the wicked should perish, but they should repent, turn, and live. But the truth is, a lot of people will not repent, they will not turn, and they will not live. And that's not God's will. But, but So what does God do? In, in his sovereignty, he establishes law that says, justice must be served. So that justice is actually the completion of God's will. Because righteousness... Does that make sense? It's a little, little deep in there on the... Does it make sense? Did I explain that good? All right, let's keep going. 
so he hears us, right? So watch this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, and if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So guess what, guys? If we are righteous before God, okay, and we have confidence, then when we ask something, we know we can have it. This is a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching to really grasp. But, and that's why you have to hear it, and you have to hear it, and you have to hear it. Um, because it boosts faith, because faith comes by hearing. Not by experience, but faith comes by hearing. All right, James chapter 5, 13 through 18. James chapter 5. <clears throat> Watch this. Is anyone among you suffering? James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That's like so blatantly out there. I mean, I, I, like so straight up, so straightforward, you can't misinterpret that. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So again, we see sickness and sin in the same category here. Okay, where when we deal with sickness, we also deal with sin. Because sin and sickness both make you unclean before God in the Old Testament. The law was very clear that if you had leprosy, which was a skin disease, that you became unclean. Okay, but the priest could come and declare you clean. And then you would be, but that required a blood sacrifice and so on and so forth. Okay, <clears throat> therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because sin is, sickness is the byproduct of sin, okay? Um, in general, okay? Just in general. You know, it may not even be your sin. It may be the sins of your fathers. You know what I'm saying? It may be the sins of the people you're around. You know what I'm saying? You may have uh, things come in your life because the sin just brings death. <laughs> it's not God's fault. It's our fault. You know what I mean? We want to say, oh, God's putting this on me. No, we put that on ourselves and we started sinning, you know? It just, that's just the law of sowing and reaping. All right, check this out. The prayer of the righteous person, watch this. Therefore, confess your sins one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's so good, man. Look, if we really got the fact that we were the righteousness of God, we would believe that our prayers were powerful. And we'd pray more. But people don't pray anymore, you know. Because they think, well, God's will is going to happen. What's the point in praying? You know, that's not confidence. Sorry. So we misinterpret that scripture. If we misinterpret, if we read a scripture that says, if we pray anything according to the will of God, and in the same passage it says we have confidence, and then in, in reading that we lose confidence, we must be misinterpreting the scripture. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't lose confidence. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its working. If I have the blood of Jesus on my life, then I am the righteousness of God. I am a righteous person. I do have powerful prayers. The question is, do I believe it? Because the righteous shall walk by faith. If I believe, then I will receive. If I believe on the righteousness of God, 
then I also believe that my prayers are powerful. If I believe my prayers are powerful, then my faith will move the mountain. Go ahead. All right, here's what it says. There's, there's, it's just like fire. You have to have a spark, you have to have fuel, and you have to have oxygen to make it work. Okay? So you have to have an elder. You have to have faith. Okay? Make sense? So I can have an elder, but if I don't have faith, if, if I go to the elder, but the elder doesn't have faith, why is he an elder? Yeah. You know? Now that's just between them and God. I'm not going to get into church politics and stuff. My point is that... Oh, my point is that it says right here we go to the elders. The reason why we go to the elders is because hopefully the elders have faith. Now, just because that doesn't mean that other people don't have faith. Okay, (laughs) that just means that we expect the elders have faith. So many people, elders, look down on laying hands. I mean, there's so many scriptures that literally just like you said, this is blatant. This is very clear and very yeah. black and white. And that's yeah. why, yeah, that's why we have a discipleship house because <clears throat> here we're going to really get in the word. You know, really, here we're really going to get into the word and we're going to talk about hard things that people don't ever talk about. You know, <clears throat> because people are afraid of it. You know what? I'm not afraid to talk about scripture that I haven't even been able to fulfill yet. Why? Because I will be held accountable for what I teach when I stand before God on Judgment Day, whether or not I was the best or not. You know what I mean? I still have to preach the word of God. Because God's not a liar. And it's not me saying it anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the prayer of faith, that will make the sick man well. But but here's the thing, watch this. The prayer of faith. So all this is tied up. The reason why some elders, you know, they may have trouble praying for people is because they may, they may feel insignificant. They may not really feel, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things. We can't just like point the finger at the elder. You know what I'm saying? The truth is, we're all called to be, it says in First Timothy if anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a great, a, a noble task. So, we as Christians, we're supposed to be desiring the noble task. So, going out and, and being leaders and, you know, and being humble, you know. It says in Scripture, uh, we're going to get to here in a minute, <clears throat> that when we humble ourselves, God exalts us, okay. So, um, we've got to let God exalt us to that place, you know what I mean. If God sees you as the person who's there for healing, then... And you need to see yourself as the person who's there for healing. And here's a question. It's not really the elders that is the classification. Okay? That's getting when you start saying stuff like that, you become real legalistic and become religious. Now we're putting people on pedestals instead of putting God in our hearts and saying, What do you believe? Because here's the truth. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The question is, who's who's righteous? Everybody who believes. Everybody who believes that they are the righteousness of God. So I don't have to be an elder, okay? The only reason why we go to the elders is because we believe that they have faith, okay? So that's the confidence is believing that you have it, and you have it. And that's what makes you righteous. Just like Abraham. Abraham did not see his son being born, but he believed God even though he did not see it. That was counted as righteousness to God. For 100 years. Mm-hmm. For 100 years, all the way. He was, still, he was considered righteous up to the point he had that kid and beyond. All right, James 4. All right, so um, how do you get this, um, that your prayers answer? How do you get into righteousness? First of all, it takes humility. So go to James 4. It's just one chapter over. Uh, 4, 4 through 10. 
It says right here, you, adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> there's a dual thing here. There's, there's a righteousness of knowing my identity, and there's also a righteousness of follow through okay all right and actually submitting what makes you righteous isn't your deeds it's that you continually seek god with all of your heart and you constantly let him change your life okay you're not going to be there overnight you know what i'm saying but if my heart is to pursue the lord like david when god said he's a man after my own heart okay david was not perfect but he was a man after god's own heart in fact david did some pretty bad stuff you know, but God called him a man after his own heart because he, he sought after God with all of his own heart. You know, we have to see God with all of our heart. And when we do that, we start to change. Our life begins to change. We become humble. OK, the most humble people are the ones that more power works through. The reason why is because the more humble you are, the more you move yourself out of the way. The more you move yourself out of the way, the more God can display in your life. The more God displays in your life, the more miracles happen. OK, check this out. He yearns jealously, right? But he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's so good. So we, this is actually the power to overcome sin right now. So first of all, we don't start with just laying on hands. We start with the miracle in our own life of literally dying to self and being raised with Christ. Sin in our life, if we're really um, walking in faith, we will remove sin in our life through Jesus because we believe that he has made us righteous. Oh, so good, man. When we believe that he's made us righteous, we can actually believe that we have died. When we believe that we have died, we can believe that our passions are also gone. When we believe that that happens, we believe that he replaces it with his passions. That's what it says. The righteousness of God. It's good. It's good. Yeah, and it says right here, just in the same passage, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, in your humility before God, you do spiritual warfare. And that's how you overcome sin. So when I was struggling with pornography, or when I get tempted with pornography, I resist the devil because I know who I am. I know that that's not who I am anymore. Not just It's not just a resisting the devil. It's resisting the devil and submitting to the Lord. Watch this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will free from you. The very next verse says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. He's talking about Christians. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So when you're in the, in the middle of that, here's what, here's what happens. You resist the devil. That's spiritual warfare. I'm talking about sin. So when we, when we resist the devil in sin, we resist him, but it's not doesn't stop there. The next is draw near to the Lord. So here's what I do. When I'm resisting the devil, I fight the devil in spiritual warfare, praying in the spirit, casting the devil out of my life, and then right after that, I start praising the Lord. And say, I thank you, Father, that you've made me the righteousness of God. Why? Because when you praise God, it cuts through unbelief. Unbelief is going to lead me to sin. That's what it says in the scripture, that anything done outside of faith is a sin. So, unbelief, if I don't really believe that I'm free, it'll always lead me back to sin. Okay? 
So unbelief. So the only way I can get rid of unbelief, it says in Romans chapter 4, that, he, that Abraham let no distrust make him waver, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So I will have distrust, especially when I'm being tempted. When I'm being tempted with the devil, right? Like especially like in mine, it's a secret sin. So when I get tempted with pornography or whatever, it, the thought will come, bam, hit me. You know, and so all of a sudden I'll have these desires that are contradictory to my spiritual desires. And it's easy to believe that I am a pervert. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to believe that I'm screwed up. When the truth, because of these feelings I have, you know what I mean? When the truth is, I've died. The truth is believing something I can't see. The truth is something believing I can't feel. Believing something beyond my emotions. So whenever I start to humble myself, die to myself, resist the devil, draw near to the Lord, it says that if I humble myself before him, he will exalt me. And that's what happens. So in that time of, of resistance to the devil, I, I resist the devil, I fight him with the word of God, and then I start to draw near to God in worship. And I say, thank you, Father, that you've given me victory over this today in the name of Jesus. And I just start praying those things for victory, okay? And then it says right here that he'll draw near to you. Hey guys, it's James Whetstone here. Thank you once again for your support and your views. We could not do this without you and your help. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to check out our website, um, please do that. It's B-A-L-M-Z-S dot com. Uh, we got all kinds of teachings and events and, and all of our ministry pages there. Make yourself at home. Check us out. Uh, if you haven't liked our Facebook page, go to that. It's Bold as a Lion Ministries. Uh, every single week here on YouTube, we're trying to post a video on Mondays uh, to help, help get everybody fed. Uh, just just continue to stay, stay tuned. If you haven't subscribed yet to our, uh, to our YouTube page, please do that. Um, also, follow us on Twitter uh, at The Daily Balm. Uh, that's B-A-L-M. That stands for Bold as a Lion Ministries. Um, or a very soothing ointment. Um, we also have our podcasts on iTunes and Google Play. You just search Bold Line Ministries and boom, you got it. We got a lot of things coming in the future we're excited about. If you were touched by this message, please consider giving us a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sponsor. We can't do it without our supporters and thank everybody for supporting so much we, we like i said we cannot do this without you guys so if you want to see bigger and better things in the future consider becoming a monthly sponsor have a great week god bless we'll see you next monday